0: Hey friends, I'm Jenny Meyer and you're listening to The Rooted Truth Podcast, where we look at the world through a biblical lens. We talk about real life, biblical truth, and how to walk with Jesus through it all. Be sure to follow me on social at Jenny Meyer and at The Rooted Truth. Also, be sure to subscribe to the members only, all exclusive episodes on The Rooted Truth Podcast by going to www.therootedtruth.com. Now let's get started. Are you looking for a conservative Christian community with like-minded believers? One that always points you back to the Bible? Or maybe you're looking for biblically-based studies that take you beyond the surface? We have you covered at the Rooted Truth Collective. As a part of the collective inside the All Access app, you'll receive live biblical studies, an array of devotions, many audio guides on different topics, a section on equipping the saints, the members' podcast, Biblical deep dive studies, an uncensored community, teaching and accountability, real relationships, and live member chats. We are a comprehensive Christian community offering biblical teaching, accountability, and an intentional space to learn and dig deep into God's word. We are a tribe of like-minded individuals with a biblical worldview who use the word of God to navigate this world that we live in. Through our app, studies, devotions, podcasts, and resources, we encourage believers to let go of the daily hustle and dive deeper into relationship with the Lord. Join the Rooted Truth Collective today at www.dot.therootedtruth.dot.com/slash/join. Hey everyone, welcome to part 12 of the Walking Through the Bible series. I really do pray that you have learned something during this series so far. We are on part 12 already. We've been doing this for over a year now. If you have learned something, I'd love to hear from you. If you could either leave a review on this podcast or maybe send me a message or an email, I'd love to hear how the Walking Through the Bible series has impacted your life. So before we get started, don't forget to download the latest version of the free PDF Walking Through the Bible. It's on the website. You can head to www.therootedtruth.com slash walking through the Bible, or it's also on most of the pages on the website at the very bottom. You can go download that. If you just want to click the link, it's also in the show notes of this episode. So just scroll down. Okay, so today we are diving into 1 Samuel. And I have to say that First and Second Samuel are probably like my favorite books of the Bible, only because I just love the storyline. I love how it flows. I love learning about the life of King David, um, Saul, everything that goes on. Um, it's just, I don't know, it just draws me in every time I read it. So Last time we left off with the book of Ruth, which occurred during the time of the judges. Remember, God was the king of Israel, okay? God was the one he's the one true God. He was the King of Israel. That's how he set up his nation and he assigned judges over the land. And as we saw in the book of Judges, there was a cycle going on, right? Israel sins, they're oppressed, they repent, there's deliverance. They finally have peace for a little bit. And then years go by and they fall into that same sin cycle again with the sin being oppressed, repentance, deliverance, all of this all throughout the time of the Judges now as we dive into first samuel we see that first samuel is really like this narrative history which again i personally love and it's unsure of who the author of the book well actually both books first and second samuel it's unsure who the author is so some say it was samuel himself however he dies in chapter 25 so there's no way he could have finished the book or have written second samuel so many scholars today actually think it's possible that someone from the prophetic school that's mentioned in 1 Chronicles 29:29 29, 29 wrote it using the writings of Nathan the prophet which we'll see him in 2 Samuel, Gad the seer and Samuel obviously the the prophet and seer. So it's believed to kind of have been compiled by these writings and one person just put it all together somewhere around 960 BC. So originally the books of first and second Samuel were one book and the translators of the Septuagint separated them. And we have basically retained this separation ever since then. And the events of first Samuel spanned about a hundred years from 1100 BC to about a thousand BC, obviously give or take some years because it's really hard to get exact dates. Um, And my goodness, I was just thinking like writing the Daniel study, which we just started on the book of Daniel, trying to figure out these dates are really tough. There is so much discrepancy in the scholars, the theologians on when certain events happened. So again, take these with a grain of salt is, you know, I'm not hundred percent positive. It was 1100 BC to 1000 BC, but somewhere around there. And the events of this covers about Um, again, a hundred years, yet the events of second Samuel cover another 40 years past that. And we'll get into that um, on the next episode. So part 13. So some of the main people in the the book of first Samuel include Eli, Hannah, Samuel, Saul, Jonathan, which was Saul's son and David. And it was really like Written, a lot of people think it was written to show Israel how they chose a king. So the history of Israel, but in the process, they blatantly neglected and abandoned God. And remember, the time of the judges were rough. So the Israelites had not heard from God in decades. The priests were all corrupt, um, the nearby nations were threatening the land safety, and even Eli, who is a high priest and judge of Israel at this time, he's not even faithfully serving God and the people overall, as, as we see as you dig into this book. So as we kind of dive in, we see that First Samuel is divided into two different sections, The first 12 chapters cover the life of Samuel, and then the the last half of the book, chapters 13 through 31, is really about the life of Saul, and we see Samuel kind of fade out until he dies in chapter 25. The book starts off with a woman named Hannah. She could not conceive, yet she wanted a baby so bad, and it was said that the Lord closed her womb. So she goes to Shiloh um, with her husband, where that's where the tabernacle of the Lord was. And they went and did their offerings yearly, prayed. And so this, this one time she goes, she's praying passionately. She is weeping so much that the priest Eli thinks that she's drunk and She is just crying, praying, asking the Lord for a son. And in chapter one, verse 11 says, "O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall come upon his head. So essentially Hannah promises to dedicate her son to the Lord. If he grants her a child what does God do? He answers her prayer and she has baby Samuel. And once he is weaned, which is typically around two or three um, in my research in this, about two to three years old, she takes him to the tabernacle and leaves him there with Eli, with the priest in dedication to the Lord. And her prayer in chapter two is just so good. And I want to read that to you guys. So first Samuel two starts out and says, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn, which also means my strength is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly, let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger, even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble." The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. For by strength, no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven, he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his kings and exalt the horn, again, the strength of his anointed. So that is through verse 10 of second or first samuel and that's hannah's prayer and it's just such an amazing example for us so as she's handing her son over to the service of the lord she's praising god i really do love that prayer and i love that it is just so passionate about how great god is and that he answers prayers so it can be such a good example for us to remember today and I really like what was written on the Got Questions website about this prayer. It says the prayer of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 10, makes several prophetic references to Christ. She extols God as her rock in verse 2. And we know from the gospel accounts that Jesus is the rock upon whom we should build our spiritual house. Paul refers to Jesus as the rock of offense to the Jews in Romans 9 33. Christ is called the spiritual rock, who provided spiritual drink to the Israelites in the wilderness just as he provides living water to our souls. That's in 1 Corinthians 10:4 and John 4:10. Hannah's prayer also makes reference to the Lord who will judge the ends of the earth. While Matthew 25, 31 and 32 refers to Jesus as the Son of Man who will come in glory to judge everyone. So I just thought it was really cool to kind of see how that foreshadows Jesus um, in her prayer to God. So you can find Jesus in every book of the Bible. It is so cool when you really start to dig in. So continuing on after Samuel is born to Hannah as a Nazarite, um, she dedicates him to God. And then we see the Israelites are in battle with the Philistines. They end up losing the Ark of the Covenant of all things, right? (laughs) They steal the Ark of the Covenant and take it away. And during this time, the priest and judge Eli actually dies. All the while, the Philistines are being struck down by deadly plagues because of stealing the Ark of the Covenant. So they put the Ark in their temple to their fish god. That's what it was. And like the top half of a man and the bottom half of a fish His name was Dagon, and many scholars say that Dagon was the Philistine equivalent to the Canaanite god Baal, although I've also heard that Dagon is believed to be the father of Baal. So whatever the case is, we know that these are false gods. These are created principalities. So the Ark of the Covenant is in the temple of Dagon and the next morning they go in to check on it and they find the statue of Dagon fallen on its face in front of the Ark. Like, how cool is that? The statue of their God that they're worshiping falls on its face in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of, of God, right? So this not only happens once, but it happens the next day as well. And this time, so the second time that happens, the statue of Dagon actually breaks laying in front of the ark of the covenant so after about seven months of these plagues going on in the country the philistines are literally happy to return the ark of the covenant to israel so they send it on an ox cart pulled by two cows off on its way down the road to go back to israel so then moving on to chapters 8 through 15 the israelites are demanding a king They are tired of the judges and they want a king. So Samuel, who now is high priest, so he's grown up, he is high priest and he's serving as a judge as as well. So he petitions God about the Israelites wanting a king. And first Samuel 9, 15 through 17 says, now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. And you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to them, said to him, there he is, the man of whom I spoke to you, this one shall reign over my people. So again, that was first Samuel 9, 15 through 17, but Growing up, I always remember that I was taught that the people chose Saul. So as I'm going through this um, and really like with a a fine tooth comb, right? Looking through first Samuel, that really stood out to me. I'm like, wait a second. Like I thought the people chose Saul, but In reality, God was the one who chose Saul to be the king over Israel. Yes, the people wanted a king and were demanding a king, but God was the one who chose Saul um, and chose this, this man from the tribe of Benjamin. So Samuel then goes on to anoint Saul to be king. And although we see things go well at first, right? As usual, we have trouble coming in the near future. So kind of the same thing with the judges, as we walked through that book. But in chapter 13, we see Saul directly disobey God while doing a burnt sacrifice that only the priests were permitted to do. So because of this direct disobedience to God's will, Samuel then informs Saul that God has rejected him as the rightful king. And then only two chapters later in chapter 15, Saul again disobeys big time. The Lord speaks to Samuel, tells Samuel to tell Saul, Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites. So not sparing any, but destroying every living being, including the ox, the sheep, the camel, the donkey, right? So the animals. So Saul gets his troops together, which at this point he had um, over 200,000 men of Judah go to war against them, right? So they start wiping out the Amalekites yet Saul sees Agag, who is the king of the Amalekites, and he spares his life. So he again disobeys. He spares this this king, the king of the Amalekites' life after God told him to literally utterly destroy everything. So not only does he spare the king's life, but he also keeps the best of the sheep, the oxen, the lambs, and And doesn't destroy them either. So the Lord again speaks to Samuel saying that he regrets making Saul king. And Samuel and Saul kind of get into this little tiff, it appears in chapter 15, where you could see Samuel's really mad. Like he's like, wait a second, what's going on? And in verse 22, Samuel says to Saul says, so Samuel said, has the Lord has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. The word heed means obey. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being King over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So that's first Samuel 15, 22 through 28. So you can see, I just, love where samuel says that to obey is better than sacrifice like let's apply that to our own life to obey god is better to than sacrificing anything to him because rebellion so disobedience rebelling against what god has told you to do is as the sin of witchcraft that's heavy you guys that is that's that's deep and then stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So that couple, those couple lines right there are honestly like part of my favorite because it really just like sunk into me, and I really hope that it sinks into your heart as well. To obey is better than sacrifice, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. So obey what God is telling you. Um, to do. So I just really like that part. So back to the story at this point, Samuel then goes out after this and kills King Agag. So he takes it upon himself to go kill the King that God had told Saul to do. And Saul didn't. Um, And at that point, Saul lost the kingdom. So that day he loses the kingdom and the Lord's spirit departs from him. So he was no longer, um, seen in the eyes of the Lord as king of Israel, yet he was still king in the people's eyes. So there's two different things going on here. So the people are seeing Saul still as king, right? Um, but the Lord doesn't recognize him as king anymore. Which then that brings us to chapter 16, and in 16 through 31, God selects His new king, who is David, and he is called a man after God's own heart. And that's um, actually comes from. Chapter 13, verse 14. So David is this shepherd boy, right? He's most likely, I would guess, 17 years old at this point. And Samuel anoints David as this young boy. And then several several years later, we see this famous story of Goliath. So David stands up to this Philistine giant. Yes, he was a giant in front of both the armies of the Israelites and the Philistines. And with God as his protector, David basically chooses not to wear any armor, yet he picks up five stones and his sling. And first Samuel seventeen forty five through 49 says, then David said to the Philistine, you have come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took a stone, took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. So that is chapter 17, verse 45 through 49. So David literally fully trusts the Lord. He he trusts everything that God tells him to do. And he trusts that God will deliver Goliath into his hand. And he drops this giant with one simple stone, claiming victory for Israel. And really in that moment, he displays this true leadership of what a king is supposed to be, right? So it is in this story, obviously one that's commonly known, right? It's my belief that Goliath was a descendant of the Nephilim bloodline. So here's this giant. He is facing this giant, this little shepherd boy. He's facing this giant and he takes him down with one stone because God was behind him. And he literally says, The battle is the Lord's. And again, another great reminder for us today um, that our battle is not against flesh and blood and the battle is the Lord's, but it's against these principalities, right? These forces of darkness. So- That is a story for another day with with the Nephilim bloodline, but I just wanted to make note of that. So after David kills Goliath, everyone rejoices and starts praising David, right? Saul even gives his daughter to David in marriage, yet then we see this bitterness set into Saul's heart. Saul, who's eaten away by this envy and jealousy and driven by hate, begins to pursue David in fear of losing his throne because the people were, were praising David and were making up songs about him, that he slayed 10,000 and Saul only slayed 1,000. So this, this jealousy just eats at Saul. And throughout the remainder of the book, we see David fleeing from Saul all over the entire land, all over. And David gains the respect and loyalty of Saul's son, Jonathan. And in this, we see the story of friendship as well, which is really cool and loyalty. So David, along the way, we see David could have easily taken Saul's life two different times, yet he respected that Saul had been anointed by God and he chose not to kill him saying, I'm not going to kill God's anointed. which really shows true kind of leadership and just like his his righteousness and walking this godly life and godly path as well, which is really cool to see throughout the book. And that's again, why this book is one of my favorite of just the story. So as we get into chapter 25, David is still on the run. And then we go back to Samuel and we see Samuel ends up dying. So he's old, he dies. There is war going on between the Israelites and the Philistines. This So it starts up again. And Saul, who typically would go ask Samuel, like, hey, what can I do? Like, what should I do about this? What does God say I should do? Will he deliver them into my hand or do I not fight them? And so Saul's like super stressed out because Samuel is dead. So he goes and consults a medium, which is something something that's directly prohibited by the Levitical law. And so he's in there with this medium, and the spirit of Samuel appears to Saul during this time. So, this is kind of a debated topic in this book of whether this is actually Samuel's spirit or not. So, one view is that it is a demon pretending to be Samuel, which is the case when you go, you know, you see a psychic or a medium, they're consulting these demons that know things. It is not It is not the spirit or your dead loved one that's talking. It is a demon who is talking. Um, and so a lot of people say that that's the case in this, but then there's another point of view that this was actually God bringing about the spirit of Samuel because of what Samuel says to Saul, it appears to be clearly from God. Um, So again, it's a debated topic here of whether this is truly Samuel's spirit um, coming to talk to Saul or a demon who's impersonating Samuel. So the spirit starts talking. um, We're in chapter 28, verse 16. It says, then Samuel said, so, why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy, and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me? For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So this is um, 1 Samuel 28, 16 through 19. So we literally see this spirit say this to Saul and he leaves, he goes into battle the next day. And what happens Saul and his sons, all but one son. So there was one son who was not out um, at in the battle, but the ones that were in the battle, they all die. They die out there in the war. And this kind of closes out the book of first Samuel. So again, this is an intense book, a, lots of different storylines going on. We see um, Eli, we see Samuel, Saul, David, Jonathan. It's just a really, really cool book to look at the history of um, Israel and God's people. So then as a quick review, we have chapters one through seven, God raising up Samuel as the prophet and judge. We see in chapter eight through 15, Israel demanding a king, which is then Saul. We see in chapter 16 through 20, God raising up David to be king of Israel and chapters 21 through 31, Saul hunting David out of jealousy. And then we see Saul dying in battle um, to close out the book. So I really do love this book because of the chronological story of all of them, Samuel, Saul, David, and it goes right into second Samuel with how David then is finally anointed and recognized as King of Israel. And I think we really can learn a lot from first and second Samuel, um, really just understanding the fear of men versus the fear of God here in first Samuel. So Saul we saw that he he said that he feared the people. So he feared men, thus disobeying the Lord's command. And as we will see in 2 Samuel, the reign of David, David clearly fears the Lord in all of his choices and actions. So it's this, I guess, this contrast between these kings of Saul, who is fearing man and David, who is fearing the Lord. And again, we need to apply these things to our life. Are we fearing man or are we fearing the Lord? Um, let's, let's pray that we learn to fear the Lord and do as he commands and obey him. So that wraps up part 12 of the walking through the Bible series with first Samuel. I truly, again, pray that you have learned something and that you dig into this book for yourself. So if you haven't read it, go read it. It is good and dig in. If there's words you don't know, um, pull up the Strong's concordance. Um, I like to use the blue letter Bible app when I do that. And if there's like a word that I may be confused on, I click that I see what it was, um, in the old Testament written in Hebrew and what it means, which helps make it, it puts it all together and makes more sense to me. So use those resources. Um, if you don't have a study Bible, grab a study Bible. I use the new King James foundation study Bible by um, Thomas Nelson. And I like that one. So just check it out. And as always, let me know if you have any questions um, at all. So I will be back next time with Second Samuel, as we continue to dig into the story of um, King David. So don't forget to download the free PDF that comes with this series. It is updated now to include 1 Samuel, and you can snag that at www.therigidtruth.com walkingthroughthebible walking through the Bible. And I will also put the link in the show notes of this episode. So thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.